This morning, as we continue to, to dig into Luke, we're going to finish up the Sermon on the Plain today. And, and we've been studying through the teaching of Jesus as he's beginning his ministry. He's just called his apostles to himself. And, and he gives really what are some of the, the key teachings, the keystone teachings to his ministry, to what he's about, to how countercultural things are. Now, this last week, many of you in, enjoyed Thanksgiving together. How many of you had turkey sometime this last week? Way too many of you. Think of all those little animals. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> doesn't bother me. Um, turkey, mashed potatoes, pie. It is just an incredible week. Now, what would have happened if on Tuesday you weren't feeling so good, maybe a little bit of chest pain or something, and you go to the doctor, and, and the doctor checks you out and looks you over and, and finally comes back into the room and says, okay, it's, it's not that serious. But yes, if you don't take care of yourself, it will be serious. So here's what you need to do. For the next month, you need to eat only fruits and vegetables. <laughs> Why is there a mer- Fruits and vegetables are good for you. Steak, to no turkey, no pumpkin pie, no mashed potatoes, nothing. And he says, you know, you're going to be fine if you just do this. If you just hold to this, you're going to be fine. And and your first thought is probably like mine is, I don't remember seeing fruits and vegetables in the ice cream aisle. Those weren't flavors on the half gallon of ice cream. And and we're thinking all these things. Now, then you come to all the, the Thanksgiving celebrations and you're together. Could you hold to that? Could you do what the doctor said? He said, you will feel great if you do this. As you walk by the turkey and the pumpkin pie and the apple pie and the blueberry pie, not that we have a pie thing. See, the the interesting thing about that story, and it's contrived, but oftentimes we know what to do and we know what would be the healthy thing to do, but we simply just refuse to do it. Or it's just too hard. Something like that is a silly example, but we might say, I don't know, it's... That's just going beyond, above and beyond what I can do to, to, to do that. I, I can remember one Christmas time when I was in college, I had to have my wisdom teeth out. And the way, the way it worked, we tried to get it between semesters. And so I had my wisdom teeth out on December 23rd. And the dentist said, soup for you. <laughs> and so I went through all the Christmas celebrations and all the family celebrations. And I was supposed to have soup. But I didn't. <laughs> you got that supposed to. <laughs> and I tried to eat other things and ended up with, with all kinds of hurt and pain. And if I had just done what the doctor said, I would have been fine. We come to the Sermon on the Plain, the, the end of Jesus' teaching here in Luke. And really, that's the message of the day. The message of the day that Jesus concludes with is, I know these things are hard, But let's look at our own hearts and see how we're doing. And then let's just put this into practice. Let's just do this. And we've talked about some of the hard teachings. And some of you have shared with me some of the hard teachings. Things like love your enemies and bless those that curse you and pray for those that hate you. And and we've said these are hard things to forgive people that abuse you to still engage and not defend ourselves, to not be judgmental, to not be critical, but rather to forgive and to bring people in and to accept people. 
And we come to those and, and we're like, Jesus, those are too hard. Those are so countercultural, so opposite to what my natural person would want to do. And so at the end of today, Jesus, as he concludes, at the end of the day, his message is, do it anyway. Do it anyway. Even if it's hard, do you trust me enough in my teaching to obey me even though it goes against everything you've thought of? This is a huge message for us at holidays when we're coming to all kinds of relational issues in family and extended family and friends and the busyness just seems to exaggerate all of the drama that can happen in our lives. And we live in a fallen world and we see that every day. And Jesus says, just obey me. Just trust me. Just obey me. Turn with me to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, verses 43 through 49, as we conclude the Sermon on the Plain today. If you don't have a Bible, there's a black one right underneath a a chair right around you. We'd love to have you take that out and follow along with us so you know that this is coming from God's Word. If you don't have one at home, please take that. That's our gift to you. We want you to to have God's Word. But we come to to Luke chapter 6 and and really, there's two, two sections today. In the first section, Jesus is going to say, let's do some self-examination. Let's look at our heart. And the second section is going to be his action plan, which says, put it into practice. And so we come to 43 through 45, and the first point in your notes is self-examination. Our fruit reveals what is in our heart. Our fruit reveals what is in our heart. Now, keep in mind where we're coming from. The verses right before, what we studied last week, He talked about don't be judgmental, but rather be forgiving. And in fact, before you come and point out all the faults in other people and the specks in their eyes, remember to get the beam out of your own eye, to get the the log out of your own eye. And we looked at some of Jesus' humor last week as he talked about that. But his point is, start to look at yourself before you go picking apart everyone else. Look at your own heart. Look at what you need to change. Now, if you look at the first word in verse 43, it says for. For no good tree bears bad fruit. And that for is a connecting, connecting word that connects it to the log and the beam discussion right before this. Jesus is concluding that and saying, okay, if you're going to look at yourself, if you're not going to pick apart the specks out of each other's eyes, here's a tool to do that. Here's a self-examination tool. Let's start to look at your fruit. Let's look at the fruit in your life. For no good tree bears bad fruit. Nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. And we can read that, and no doubt you've heard that if you've, if you've studied this passage before. And you can say, well, that, that makes sense. Okay, but how does it apply? And there's a, a few notes that I, I want to see out of this passage. And he's tying it back in to, to make sure we are not blind to our own sins. And so he, he says, let's start the examination Let's start the, the self-introspection by saying, what is your fruit like? For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. And that's, again, that, that's wording that's tying into to what he just taught before. Look at yourself, your own fruit. Don't be looking around. Don't be picking and saying, okay, I'm going to be a fruit inspector. I'm going to look at Chrissy's fruit today. And um, let's talk. No, he says, look at your own fruit. Let's look at our own heart. And he's, he's, he's confronting the hypocritical attitude that he taught on last week, that he taught against. 
See, when we're judgmental, we're often blind to our own sins, but quick to see them in others. One author wrote, the true hypocrite is the one who ceases to perceive his deception, the one who lies with sincerity. And we are really good at lying to ourselves and avoiding the sin that we struggle with. And so Jesus starts to talk about fruit. And the, the letter A there, the fruit doesn't define the tree. The tree defines the fruit. And, and in fact, the fruit reveals the tree rather than defines the tree. And you're probably, well, what does that mean? It, it's really a simple concept. We can't earn our way into being better trees. We, we can't just, okay, if I just do the right thing, if I just have the right actions, no fruit comes from the tree. If I have an apple tree, I expect apples. So, so if I go out to, in our house, and if I go look at the, the orange tree in our backyard, and I find some sort of poisonous berries, chances are that's not an orange tree, right? Or if I go in the front yard, and, and we have these bamboo trees with these little red berries. I don't know if they're poisonous or not. We haven't had the guts to try them. But they, I, I know my boys think they're ammunition, and, and so they're, even this week as we're decorating, they're having berry fights or whatever. But if I go out to the bamboo and I find oranges instead of berries, chances are that's not a bamboo tree or a bush. That's an orange tree. That's what Jesus' point is here. It's actually pretty simple. He's saying your actions, your fruit, reveal what's inside. They reveal what kind of heart you have, what kind of person you have. And so don't separate hypocritically what you do and and our actions. Don't separate that from your heart because out of the heart flows the wellspring of life. And and he's using this to talk, he's using trees and something they would have understood. Figs, grapes, and olives were, were some of their most common trees, the most common agriculture of the time. And so he's, I could just picture him looking around and pointing you know, do you expect good, good fruit off this bush? Do, do you expect bad fruit off this fig tree? And, and he's using these examples to teach. And, and he's reminding us, look at our own fruit. Inevitably, we live out what we believe. Now, we can fake it for a while. We can put on a good show for a while. But inevitably, what we believe, what our heart is like with Christ, comes out in our actions. And so Jesus says, let's start looking at your actions. Not because they lead to salvation, but because they are an evidence of salvation. They are an evidence of my walk with you, or your walk with me. And then he goes on in in 45, and he continues the, the metaphor, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. And when we think of that, we see that he's teaching us that the treasure of the heart defines the direction of the actions. The treasure of the heart defines the direction of the actions. And he he intentionally uses words like treasure because a treasure is something that we pursue, right? When we're talking about our heart, we're talking about what just really captivates us. What is the treasure there? What is our, the direction that we are willing to spend our time and energy on? That's what we treasure, what we hold dear. 
And so Jesus says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart, and he's talking about a heart that is turned to God, a heart that is following God, they will produce good. That's where the fruit comes from. Not of our own. None of us are good on our own. But because of the righteousness of Christ that he gave us when he died on the cross in our place for our sins and gives us his righteousness like a giant coat over us, that's why we can be called good. And so he's referring to the, 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 the heart that is pursuing God here produces good fruit. Produces oranges, not poison berries. But then an evil heart produces evil. Makes sense, right? This isn't, this isn't profound teaching. It's hard teaching. And so Jesus says, look at your heart. What do you treasure? What do you, what, what consumes you? What drives you? What choices do you make? Last night, a, a number of us went to Operation Christmas Child and volunteered at the, the processing center there. Incredible time. As, as you, you process these boxes and think about the faces of the little boys and girls that are going to be opening these and touched for the gospel. But what, what really re- impacted me is we get home, and it's late at night, 11, 11.30, and Mark had gone with me, and... Susie, Susie's up, and he just is talking to Susie for a half hour about what he experienced, about what is in his heart at that point in time. He couldn't stop talking about it. It was great. <laughs> I know he's in here now. Um, because it was an incredible time, and he and I were talking that we really enjoyed this. And we, you, you see what was in his heart, what the desire of his heart was coming out in his mouth and his actions and, and what's, what's happening there. What is the desire of your heart? Is it following God, serving God? Is that your treasure today? Because that's what will produce good fruit. You know, an example of this, now that we can talk about Christmas um, shows, it's after Thanksgiving, we watched The Grinch this week. And do you remember that point in The Grinch where it's at the end and he's up on the hillside with all their Christmas stuff and Whoville is still singing and his heart like grows like three sizes bigger and, and pops out. And then what happens? He takes the stuff down, right? His heart affected his actions. And that's the way it is with us. Our heart that wants to follow God, that has experienced the Father's mercy, that wants to be like Dad like we talked about, and copy him. That is what drives us to good fruit. Now the second half of verse 45 there, I, I think Jesus, I think he put it in be, to, for, for all of us to say, okay, that's all great, that's good teaching. I am following that. We're good. Let's go on to the next thing, Jesus. And so the last sentence he says is, for out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. And he gets really practical here. How many of you have ever said something you regret? It better be every hand in the building, right? I could say how many of you have said something you regret this week, and we'd probably have almost every hand. Because we see teaching throughout Scripture that our words out of the mouth come what's in the heart. James talks about this in James chapter 3, and he talks about the power of the tongue. And Jesus says that for out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Out of the fullness of the heart. What fills it up? Which comes back to the treasure idea. 
See, ultimately, the mouth will be driven by what is in the heart. Our true nature often comes out in those quick, off-the-cuff moments when when, uh, uh, something happens and we just respond, where we haven't had time to plan it out, right? The the relative comes in and says something uh, that is just so offensive and we just, bam, lay into them. And at that moment, our heart has peeked through. And so Jesus is saying, you you think you're so good on this? Let's talk about logs in your eye. Let's talk about your mouth. And he gets to it. See, we need to to have that kind of examination. We need to see when our heart is evil and where our heart is evil and where growth needs to happen. So many times we can take a slip of the tongue and we can just excuse it away. Pardon my French. Pardon my language. Oh, that's not me. If it wasn't you, you wouldn't have said it. It probably is more what you and I are like than we care to admit. And these things come from the abundance of the heart, what's filling the heart. You know, when we struggle with angry words, that's usually coming from an unforgiving heart, a bitter heart, or it could be coming from a self-seeking heart that just demands its own way. And when someone doesn't do what we want, it frustrates us. And that comes out in angry words. Critical words. Those often come from a prideful, self-righteous heart. Sometimes a hurting and wounded heart as well that just wants to bring everyone down to, the, to how we feel. The critical words come from a heart that is not a godly heart. When we think of filthy words, sexual talk, that's coming from an impure heart. Almost always because we've been filling our heart with images, with with entertainment that is not honoring to God. And it comes out in our words. Cussing, language. When that comes out, that's coming from a worldly heart, usually with so many worldly inputs. We're just hearing it all the time. And that's hard. That's why I, I can remember working when I was younger, working in a construction yard. And you get to hear all kinds of creative language in a construction yard. And I can remember after just a month of working there, my, in my head, the, my first thoughts when something would happen would be some of those, that same language. Like, no, no, this is not right. But the input that I had was consistently something that was not God-honoring. See, what slips out when we're tired and frustrated reveals so much about us. And, and, And here's the thing this morning. I don't want that to be a hammer that we go out and say, oh man, I am so awful because I've slipped up. But that becomes simply a way, some information for the doctor to say, okay, yes, you slipped up, but that lets us know where we need to trust God more where we need to turn our heart to God more. It is really hard to fix an ailment that you don't have any idea what it is. And our mouth helps us know what some of our ailments are and what we need to turn over to God. Ultimately, the mouth will be driven by what is in the heart. And it reveals what is in the heart. John Owen said, Temptations and occasions put nothing into a man, but only draw out what was in him before. Sometimes in softball and basketball, we say 
that competition doesn't build character, it reveals character. Now there is a certain amount of building character as it's revealed and we deal with it and turn it over to God. So this first section, and again, Jesus is wrapping up all of this hard teaching. First section is, let's look at your heart. Let's, let's each of us look at our own hearts. Where are we a little sick? Where do we need to see a little more victory? Let's do something about that. Just a, a couple of walkaway points from this first section. We need to start by looking at our own fruit to check up our heart. Now, there's two kinds of fruit, right? And we've talked about this before, but one kind of fruit, when we think of good fruit, when we think of spiritual fruit, one kind of fruit is, spirit, uh, is personal holiness, the fruits of the Spirit, that my character is becoming more like God. The second kind of fruit we can think of as spiritual children, when we lead someone to Christ or we're discipling someone for Christ and we're investing in people for Christ. And so we have fruit, we have spiritual offspring, so to speak. And those are the, the, the two major kind of fruit that we need to think of with are those present in our lives. And so the, these walkaway points, look at your fruit as a checkup. How am I doing on the fruit of the Spirit? How am I doing on love? How am I doing on joy with everyone, even those that I don't really care for naturally? How am I doing with peace, with forgiveness? Now, then, then we look at, okay, how am I reproducing spiritually? Am I building into other people? This is what the family of God's all about, the church is about. And so we, we look at our mouth, we look at our heart and say, okay, how are we doing? This is a checkup. And then use those times of failure to check the beams in your own eye, to check and ask God to prune some thorn bushes out, to make sure we have a good tree that's bearing good fruit. Then we can go back and then we can see clearly to get the log out of our own eyes and then that's essential to even beginning to think about getting a speck out of another brother or sister's eye. And so Jesus is continuing that thought. And I, I think faithfulness, fruitfulness of the heart is also the answer to hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is when what you say you believe and your actions don't match. What you say and what you do is different. And so when we, when we begin to bear fruit that is in line with what we say, hypocrisy doesn't matter. Because it's not there. And oh, do we need to think about that in our world today. When people that aren't believers hear and talk to a Christian, what is one of the complaints they often have? You're a bunch of hypocrites. Village, sometimes they're right. Sometimes our actions don't match our talk. And we don't love our enemies. And we don't forgive. And we're critical at all these things that Jesus has been teaching of. Let's get that right. I was so thankful in, in listening to many of the evangelical leaders in the last month. And if you've been following the news at all, you know that just uh, stories of abuse of women and um, sexual abuse of women have been just all over the place. And I was curious how people would respond, what their words would say and what their words would reveal out of their heart. Because so often... We, we see this divide that if they're from my political party, oh, it was just an indiscretion. That's in the past. And if they're in the other political party, we have the cross outside and we're ready to crucify them. 
And what I, I so appreciated is people, and especially so many pastors and evangelical leaders, even when it was someone from their own political party saying, this is wrong. This is despicable. This is horrible. This ought not to be. And I don't care what political party they're in, they need to go. And I know there's all kinds of nuances with it. How long ago? And is there forgiveness? And is there repentance? But when it's things they haven't repented of and secrets coming out, we need to take those seriously. And it's been so encouraging to see people's talk actually matching what they should be believing on that. Our hearts need to match. A couple of other quick points there is we need to check our heart diet. Make sure we're feeding our heart good food. This has the idea of the abundance of the heart. It's what it's full of and what our desires are. So what deposits are we making in our heart? And, and, and the way that one of the ways we make deposits is what do we spend our time doing? Your calendar is one of the ways that you nurture your heart one way or another. If your calendar is full of, of kids' sporting events, and, and there's nothing wrong with kids' sporting events. My, my kids play sports. But if that's what your calendar is full of and it consumes you and pushes everything out, that's your heart. That's the desire of your heart. If your calendar is, is full of all kinds of other entertainment options, that's the desire of your heart. If your calendar is full of being part of the family of God and serving in the family of God, that reflects a heart that's sold out for God. We need to be feeding our heart good food. God's Word, coming together on Sunday morning, coming together and encouraging each other, praying together, being in the Word. We need to be careful of the other deposits we're making. Quickly going through the rest of these on, on this list. As we interact with each other, we need to show grace and look at the preponderance of fruit. Here's what can happen, both with ourselves and with other people. That there are occasions where a fruit tree has a, a rotten piece of fruit, right? There are, Susan and I were out looking at the avocado tree a week or two ago. And um, now I, I, I tend to want to get rid of avocados anyway. But uh, I know some of you really like them. Um, yes, I'm a Californian. Um, but there was one with these brown, it had a brown side. And it's like, well, the sun has, I'm like, let's throw it away. She's like, no, 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 she loves avocados. We can save that one. What I mean by this is as we interact with each other, show grace, look at the preponderance of fruit. So if I'm interacting with somebody, I need to realize that they are defined by what characterizes the fruit of that tree. There may be a bad piece of fruit sometimes, and we may need to talk about that and pray about that, but I come to that with a whole different attitude than if I see one bad action and one piece of fruit and say, cut them off, they're out of the church. They're out of my life. And we are not always very good at showing grace to each other as as believers. Instead, we come and say, hey, this isn't you. This isn't usually what you're like. Are you okay? Maybe there's some things going on. And as a parent, you learn this lesson pretty quickly. With with a child that is disobedient, and sometimes they're just plain disobedient. And and the wrath of God, I mean, the the, um, discipline of God (laughs) needs to come down on them. But how many times as a parent have you done something and, and, and come down on a child and then found out they're running a fever? Or they're sick or something else is going on in their life that, that it, 
doesn't justify it, but helps you address it in a different way, full of grace. Think of each other. There may be times where someone comes in and, man, says a harsh word to you. What else might be going on in their life? Is that who they are? Yes, that's evidence of something going on in their heart and and the fruit reveals something that the Holy Spirit wants to deal with. But think of the whole, the whole tree. And don't just cut it down because of one bad apple. Finally, um, the fourth item there, good fruitfulness is a mark of maturity. Good fruitfulness is a mark of maturity. A tree is considered mature when it can bear fruit. You know, you plant a, a fruit tree in your backyard, sometimes it's six, seven years before it bears fruit, and that's when it's mature. It can bear fruit. As human beings, when we can reproduce, that's a, a sign of physical maturity of a sort. When, when we think of even grain, when it matures, you can pull the grain off because it gives fruit. The same is true of fruit in our lives. Godly fruit is a mark of maturity. So Jesus' first words here are, let's look at the fruit. And then he moves to the second half, the four verses from 46 to 49, and and this is his action plan. And his action plan is just pretty straightforward. Do God's word even when it's hard. Do God's word even when it's hard. This isn't a a, a great, you know, 20-step process or even a three-step process. Jesus says, I've given you what you need. The problem so many times isn't that we don't know Jesus' commands, it's that we don't want to put them into practice. And so Jesus is going to address that here. And address that a godly heart obeys Him, hears His word, and strives to do it. In verse 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And do not do what I tell you. And he starts by using this title of of master, uh, something that you would say in respect to a teacher or a master. He's saying, okay, why are you saying I'm your Lord? Why are you saying I'm over your life if you're not even going to do what I've said? That's hypocrisy. And he's calling him on it. He goes on, everyone who comes to me in verse 47 Everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them, I will show you what he is like. And he's about to give another parable, another example. But it's interesting. Look at the the, the sequence in verse 47. So he starts in 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and just don't do it? Don't do what I've said. In 47, everyone who comes to me, hears my word, and does them, I will show you what he's like. And he's going to show an example of maturity and and someone that's built on a solid foundation. And he says, coming, hearing, and doing. Coming. And the word there is arriving at a new destination on a journey. Coming to something new. And it's coming to Jesus and being with him and seeking him out. Come to me, he says. Hear my words. Now, again, if we're, if we're pursuing maturity, we've, we've got to be in the word. We can't have good fruit. We can't put this into practice without being in the Word, without hearing it. So he says, come and hear, and you've got to really hear it. Not, not like the flight, attention, flight attendant safety speech on an airplane that everyone just tunes out. No, you've got to really hear it. 
It takes work and discipline. But then the third one is the key, doing His will. Doing His will. Even the hard things in this sermon. Jesus saying, you've come, you've listened, are you doing these things? Are you able to love the person you despise? Are you able to speak well of and praise the person that's always putting you down? Are you able to stay engaged even when someone keeps hurting you and keeps hurting you? Are you willing to be vulnerable? Are you willing to to overlook offenses and not become critical and bitter? Are you willing to pray good things on a person that really bugs you? That hurts you? And Jesus says, this is what I'm asking you to do. Do my will. So on Sundays, we come, we hear God's word, but I can't control what happens when you leave. My heart is that we all do his word, do his will, even the hard things, because that's evidence of what's in the heart. One Korean man, story I was reading, one Korean man traveled a great distance to the home of a missionary. In fact, the missionary that had led him to Christ. And and he gets there and he says, the reason for his visit, he says, I've been memorizing some verses of the Bible and I want to quote them to you. The missionary listened as the young man recited without error the entire Sermon on the Mount. He commended the young man for the remarkable feat of memory. Then being a good missionary, he cautioned him and said, not only you, you can't just say scripture, but you have to practice it. It's not enough to memorize it. You've got to put it into practice. The man responded, oh, oh no, that, that's the way I learned it. I tried to memorize them, but they wouldn't stick. So I made a plan. First, I would learn a verse. Then I would go do it to a neighbor. After that, I found I could remember it. Isn't that interesting? He realized that just saying it and learning it, just head knowledge wasn't enough. It needed to be put into practice. And then finally, verse 48 and 49. Jesus has just said, check your heart in the first section. Then he said, just do it. A Nike, good Nike slogan. Just do it. I've give, I know it's hard, but do it even though it's hard. And then he gives in 48 and 49 sort of the punch in the gut, the 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 kicker to try to get them to understand how important this is. And he uses this example. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. And he uses an illustration of building here. And if you notice on both, the first is the man that hears and does. The second is the man or woman that hears and does not do and doesn't put it into practice because we have a remarkable way of explaining away why we shouldn't have to obey some of these things. Why they don't apply to us. And and the illustration here actually became so much more real on my first trip to Israel because... uh, okay, we don't have a lot of floods here. 
maybe the, you know, the curbs overflow every now and then, but we don't have a lot of floods here and, and we don't understand the terrain. And in Israel, almost all the terrain is rocky. Okay. It is very hard to build on to dig through this rock. And so it takes a lot of work if you're going to get down to bedrock and if you're going to build on rock. But there are places where it is much easier to build because the soil is sandy or a little bit of clay. In fact, the clay can look like it's, it's stable, but as soon as water hits it, it's sort of like chocolate pudding. And, but it's a whole lot easier to build on. The thing is, the places where there's sand is always sand for a reason because it's been the breakdown of rock into the coarse gravel or to the sand that's there. And what breaks down rock? Water. And so the two places you have sand is along, well, not so much anymore with the Jordan, but you had sand along the Jordan because every spring it would overflow. In the rainy season, it would overflow its boundaries, maybe by a mile. And that silt and sand would come up And that's the ground that would become chocolate pudding if it got wet again and with liquefaction and easy to build on, terrible if you want a house that lasts more than a year. But the other place that you have sand in Israel is in what they call wadis. And we call them washes, you know, Santa Ana riverbed washes. They have these wadis, these canyons that come down from the mountains. Now, when it rains in the mountains, it's all rock. So what does the water do? It just flows, right? It flows down these canyons, or wadis as they call it, and you can have a flash flood like that down one of the canyons. Now, if you had built at the bottom of one of these canyons, because it's easier, because it's more convenient, I can get my house up quicker, then you hit one of these flash floods, and boom, your house is gone. And our first trip there, we got to see this firsthand. We were in June, and it was we're, we're, we're in, in southern Israel, coming back to the Dead Sea, and it just starts to pour. And our guide, our guide was, and the driver were looking out the window. They're like, in my life, I have only seen it rain like this five times. Or on one hand, they said, I could count on one hand how many times I've seen it rain like this in June. And, and we're thinking, oh, it's rain. Cool. But we watched what happens as these, these wadis filled up with water. There were people out there in recreational vehicles. They're scrambling out as fast as they can because it happened within 10 minutes. And we get down by the Dead Sea. And in fact, I have a picture of it. I don't know how well you can see that. But this is from the road looking up in the hills. Again, those are all, all rock hills. The water's just pouring down and bringing the sand and silt. And, and we're on the, Now, we were fine in a bus, and we look up ahead, and this car is sliding off the road. And this happened in 10 minutes. And some of the guys get out, and they're pushing the car back up, and, uh, and it's great. But, and, and then as we went the next day along the Dead Sea, there are cars in the sea. There are boats on its side. There are, are buildings that are crushed. And suddenly when I read this, I'm like, oh, oh, that, that's real. The one that sees, hears and does God's word is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on rock. He didn't build in the wadi or he didn't build on the edge of the Jordan River. He dug down to bedrock and did the work that it took. And the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. We were thankful that the places we were staying had been well built as the whole mountainside was just full of waterfalls. 
Incidentally, the next day we go out and we're touring and there's not even a sign that it had ever rained. The water was gone. And then the second example, the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately two things, it fell and the ruin of the house was great. And the lesson here that Jesus is trying to get across is do what I've asked you to do even when it's hard. Even when it doesn't make sense. Even when that person is so under your skin that you don't even think you can say something kind to them. Trust Jesus enough to obey. Even when we are so angry that forgiveness seems like it's somewhere on the moon, trust Jesus and obey. And it is hard. The guy that built his house on the rock, that means drilling into rock. And in northern Israel, that's basalt, which is some of the hardest rock there is. And Jesus is saying, dig deep in the word. Dig deep and do what I've asked you to do. To do that, that means we've got to spend time in the word every day. We've got to do the work of memorizing. I am thrilled at how many of you have been memorizing God's word as we've been studying Luke and taking Jesus' example to heart in the temptations. That is drilling deep and setting a foundation that will last. Because there are going to be storms. There are going to be streams that crash against our life. There's going to be curveballs. For some of you, this year was full of things like you're like, I never want to remember that again. And it tests your foundation. Are we willing to do the work to do the hard things of following God? Trusting that they're the right things and the good things. As we do those hard things, that's when the fruit comes. That's when our hearts are transformed. Billy Graham once said, mountaintops are for views and inspiration, but fruit is grown in the valleys. Think about that. But only if we've dug deep and have a foundation that will last. Work at prayer. We've talked about that. We can just go through all the things we've talked about in Luke. Being in the Word, memorizing, working at prayer, looking at ourselves, what we need to look at instead of each other's faults, forgiving. This is all hard work. But the results are a divine blessing that is incredible. I just want to end with... with a couple of verses that talk about the same thing. So we, we get the weight of doing God's word. Luke eight twenty one. But he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. In Luke eleven twenty eight, he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. In James 1, 22, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror and he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. See, we haven't studied and understood a passage until we've applied it to life. Don't forget that. 
Don't be someone that just comes here on Sunday morning to learn some more facts about the Bible, to, to increase our head knowledge. If you're here, our heart is that we're applying God's word, that I'm applying God's word as I study it, that you're applying God's word as you hear it. We haven't studied and understood God's word until we've applied it. That's the test, until there's fruit. So let's be a people that want to study and understand God's word, that want to apply it. We finish the Sermon on the Plain. And in summary, it's been Jesus saying some really hard countercultural things. He's been saying we need to manifest the gracious character of the Father because we're His children. That mercy and love should dominate our character even when there's personal risk. But in the end, He says, the bottom line is, are you going to do it? Are you going to do it? And I pray that this morning that becomes our challenge. Yes, Lord. Even though it's hard, I'll do it. Let's pray. Lord God, you have challenged us with our attitudes, with our heart, with seeking you, with following you. And Lord, help us not to be a people of excuses, but a people of application. Help us to to put into practice what you've asked us to do and then look expectantly to how you will work. Lord, for me, help me to get over myself and to believe your word and do it. Lord, I am convinced that when we do that, we are going to see you work in incredible ways and continue to see you work in incredible ways in our own lives and in the life of our church because then the world will see a people not that are a bunch of hypocrites, but that are genuinely following Christ in sacrificial ways. And that is going to draw people to you. Lord, may we draw people to you this Christmas. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name.